Well, again, we want to welcome everybody here. And uh, right now we have family that's meeting at our Stone Canyon campus, as well as, well as others who will be joining us later online. Would you welcome them all into our time here today? Yeah. And uh, we do hope everybody had a wonderful uh, Christmas uh, celebration with family and with friends. And maybe some of you, I know some still have celebrations to go as more family are coming into town and everything. But uh, hopefully uh, it's been a great celebration of our, uh, of our Savior and of our King. And uh, today we got just one last little bit of Christmas here at First Church. And, uh, and even in our message today as we wrap up our Christmas series, we hope you've been here for all of it. And uh, as we've been talking about the, uh, our King that has come and, the, uh, and that, that, that we need to expect the unexpected, especially when we look at our King, when we look at our Savior and how He came and what He did, it was very unexpected. And today we're going to be talking about the unexpected result of His coming to this earth as our Savior. And maybe you've, uh, you've experienced some unexpected results in your life. We see it, I think, all the time in, in many different areas of life. You can see it in, in science and uh, when experiments are done and, you know, scientists say, well, didn't see that one coming, you know, or, or maybe we see it in sports. OU fans and OSU fans together, we can... We can have a moment of silence, I think. <laughs> These last couple of days have been kind of rough, haven't they? Anyway, but we do see it a lot in sports. Maybe one of the most uh, uh, remembered uh, uh, unexpected results in sports history was in the 1980 Winter Olympics when the USA hockey team played the Russian team. And everybody expected uh, the Russian team to run over Team USA. Matter of fact, just three days earlier, they had. Uh, the Russian team was a very mature team, ma mainly professional players, while the USA team was a bunch of college boys, really. And uh, they went out and they played, and uh, uh, as you can imagine, as the, as why it's called the miracle on ice is because it was a miracle that day that those USA boys beat the Russians. Uh, after the Russians had won the last four Winter Olympics, nobody expected that day uh, for the Russians to be beat by USA. And Al Michaels was ABC commentator, and that day he said, do you believe in miracles? Yes. And it was Sports Illustrated that grabbed hold of that and called it the miracle on ice. And uh, still people talk about that to this day, the, the miracle on ice and at the 1980 uh, Winter Olympics. And I would imagine many people around the world said, we didn't see that coming. But maybe you've uh, experienced unexpected results in your own life, moments where you said, oh, I didn't see that coming. I know Steph and I, uh, we experienced that early in marriage in 1996. Uh, we'd only been married for a few years, and, uh, and she took one of those tests. You know the test I'm talking about? Yeah, one of those tests. Yeah, that one right there. And she took one, and it came back with an unexpected result. <laughs> it was like, whoa. And uh, she uh, came to my office. Uh, my office was only a few blocks from where we were living at the time over in Missouri. And she came to the office and was like, you're not going to believe this. And she went and bought four more of those tests. Because <laughs> we just weren't, it was like, no way. And then I remember just a few weeks later, we went to the doctor to get confirmation that these tests were right because, I mean, we're young parents, newly, you know, this is new to us. And, and the doctor said, yeah, if you, those are pretty accurate. And yeah, they're accurate this time. 
And I'll never forget the nurse's uh, response to us. At the end of our appointment, she's giving us some, you know, new parent uh, information, things we need to be aware of. And as she's talking to us, she just stopped and she looked at us and said, are you all okay? (laughs) The shock on our faces, oh, this is very real right now. And we're not ready to take care of another human being, all right? This is not, this is not good. But that was... uh, unexpected result in our life, a moment where we definitely said we did not see that coming. When Jesus arrived on this earth, uh, God had been silent for some 400 years, not speaking through his prophets or anything at that time. And when he showed up, many people were anxious, many people were expectant, many people were hopeful of his arrival, but there were many ideas and many thoughts about how he would come and what he would be like and what he would accomplish in his coming. And then it finally happened. The baby came. A baby was born, born of a virgin, born of peasant parents. And many people, and still today as they discover the story of Jesus, many people would say, well, I didn't see that coming in the story. Didn't seem like the kind of king that I would expect to come from God. We didn't see that coming. And then, and then came the shepherds who came telling stories about, about the angels and what they had to say. And, and they came and they knelt and they bowed and they worshipped. And I can imagine Mary and Joseph at that point going, well, we didn't see that coming. And later, as we'll find in the story today, we're over in Luke chapter 2. We've been there off and on throughout this series. But just a little bit later, 40 days, matter of fact, after the birth of Jesus, the baby Jesus 40 days old at this point. And his mother and father, Mary and Joseph, are taking him to the temple as was Jewish custom. And that day, that would just be another kind of ordinary day, an ordinary dedication of a child to God. Something fairly extraordinary happened as they would present, as they'd present the, the baby Jesus. And I believe it left Mary and Joseph saying, man, we didn't see that coming. Luke chapter 2, looking at verse 25 and following, uh, there Luke recording the story, he says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Simeon, honestly. There were a lot of Simeons in the Bible, and so it's hard to kind of figure out which Simeon are we talking about here. But some believe that Simeon was a priest, and so it would not be uncommon for him to be at the temple this day. But the little glimpse that we get at him, of him in the, in the text, we find that he is a, a righteous man striving to live out the ways that God desires for him, and he is devout in his religious practices. And he was striving to walk in step with his God as he is one who was described as being led by the Holy Spirit. But what had Simeon been doing up to this point? Look at the text again. He had been waiting. He had been waiting. We don't know how long he's been waiting, but he's been waiting. And maybe you're here today and you're one that's waiting. Maybe you're waiting for something in your life. Simeon can relate to you as he's been waiting for many, many years, we would expect. 
For some of you, it's your love for Christmas. You've been waiting for the Christmas season, and uh, it has come, and it is now gone. <laughs> and you're already waiting for next Christmas because you just love this time of year. Well, it's 362 days away, so you got a few days to wait. Maybe you're waiting for a graduation. I know many of our college students are back in town. You've been going to class. And you're just waiting to walk across that stage. Maybe you're waiting on that job. Maybe you're waiting on that promotion in your job, that salary bump that you, you've been hoping for. Maybe you're waiting on her text or his text. And you're waiting. Maybe you're waiting to, to get pregnant. Maybe you're waiting on that test result. But you find yourself here today waiting. And that's what Simeon had been doing. He was waiting, but he was waiting on something that was much more significant than maybe a job that we would see here, he was waiting on something that would have eternal significance. Matter of fact, the entire nation of Israel has been waiting, again, 400 years. They've been waiting to hear from God, to, to hear his, to, 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 for His sending of His Son, his, the Messiah, the King that was to come. That's what they're waiting for. And that's what Simeon was waiting for. Look again at the text where it describes what he's been waiting for. He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. What does that mean, consolation? Well, what it doesn't mean is what we might immediately go to in our mind is consolation prize. Like, you lost, but you get this trophy, you know. It's not what he's talking about. It is more about comfort, to be consoled. He was waiting to be comforted. The nation of Israel is waiting to be comforted. Comforted from what? To be comforted in knowing that their nation would be set free, that their nation would be, be set free from the tyranny of the Roman government that was over them, and that they would hopefully, uh, as they would understand, as they would believe, the coming of the king would then issue in a new kingdom, a kingdom that where they would be the political superpower, the military superpower of the world that everybody else would have to follow after. That's what they were waiting for, and that would bring them great comfort. And so they would ask, God, what are you waiting for? God, when are you going to set the world right? God, when are you going to fix everything that is messed up in this world? Have you ever asked God that question? That's where Simeon and the Israelites would have found themselves at this point. And at some point in, God, in Simeon asking God that question, God answered him. Look at verse 26 with me there. It says this, And it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It had been revealed to him. God in some way spoke to Simeon, maybe, maybe verbally, maybe through a dream, maybe through another prophet. We don't know how it was revealed to him, but in some way God revealed to Simeon, before you die, you're going to get to see the Messiah with your own eyes. And so that's what he's been waiting for. He's received the promise, and he's held on to that promise until the day that the, that the Christ would come, the Messiah would come, that anointed one, the promised one. And that day is this day in the temple. But it started like just any other day. Then God led him to go to the temple question, are you open to the leading of God? 
Do you walk with God in such a way that when he speaks into your life or he leads you in your life that you obedient, obediently follow him? That's what happens with Simeon. I don't want us to just pass over this part of the text that he was led to the temple that day and he obeyed and he went. How often do we miss, miss extraordinary things that God is wanting to do in our lives because we're not obediently following him? We're not walking with him. Simeon, though, he's walking with God, and because of that, what seemed to be an unextraordinary day turned into be extraordinary, and something very unexpected happened. Look at verse 27. And he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up, he, Simeon, took him up, in his arms and blessed God and said, let's stop right there. Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus into the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. It's a, there will be a, a ceremony of purification for Mary 40 days after giving birth as Jewish custom, but also it would be a time where they would bring a sacrifice to God in honor of their firstborn son being Jesus. And so they come in obedience to the temple and on this ordinary day that they're coming to bring their son, something pretty extraordinary happened whenever Simeon steps forward and takes their son. Now, I'm not sure what kind of new parents they were, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> but when a man comes up to them and says, here, let me have your child, <laughs> I'm not sure how they would respond to that. Some believe that this is another example, a reason why they would see Simeon as being a priest, because uh, maybe he would have the, the priest, uh, priestly clothing on, and so they would expect this is something that's supposed to happen. But whatever the case, Simeon takes the child, the baby Jesus, into his arms to, to bless him and to praise God. Now, I have to admit, at this point in, in the story, whenever I read through this and I hear about Simeon taking Jesus into his arms, I, I think about... Simba. I don't know if that's how, how he held up the baby Jesus like, you know, Rafiki did whenever he held up the, you know, little Simba and the next king of the kingdom, you know. Maybe that'd be really cool if he did. I don't know. But when, nevertheless, he takes the baby Jesus into his arms and he begins to praise God for what he's being able to witness this day. Look at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. God, just like you told me, God, just like you promised me, you told me that the day would come before I would, I would die, that my eyes would see the King, the Messiah, the promised one. And it's happening. Simeon, he says it was in this moment that he found peace. Simeon found peace when he got to look at the baby Jesus. Maybe that's another question that we don't want to pass by real quick here. Have you found peace? And more importantly, have you found peace in Jesus? You see, this seemed to be on Simeon's bucket list. You know what I'm talking about. This was God promised, hey, before you die, this is what you're going to get to experience. And so that's the one thing. He said, man, once I do that, then I can die. Do you have a bucket list? <laughs> do you have some things that you want to experience, some places you want to go before you die? And you've got your list and you're knocking them off one at a time. 
This past summer, uh, Steph and I, along with our oldest daughter, Lauren, we got to, I got to check one off of my list whenever we got to go to Niagara Falls. We were moving her, moving Lauren up to uh, New Hampshire, and we just made a little trip through there. And, and yeah, that's us at the falls. And we did all the Niagara Falls stuff. I mean, we took the tours, we rode the boat, you know, did all that. And then somebody said, uh, prior to all the planning and everything, somebody said, hey, you've got to stay on the Canadian side. And so we did. We splurged a little bit, got a hotel room that was, I think we were 11th, 12th floor, looking down over all the falls that evening and and just taking it all in. But one thing we never uh, realized or never even heard about leading up to it is how they light up the falls at night. And so we'd, we'd ate dinner, we came back, and as we were coming back, we could see a glow over the trees on our way back to the falls, and we get there and like, wow, the lights, some of you have been there, you've seen it, they're just lighting up the falls, beautiful. And so we made our way back to the hotel room, because we wanted to get the view of all this that was happening, and this particular night, they were, well, they were lighting fireworks, setting off fireworks over the falls, I mean, it was just beautiful, and we wanted to uh, get ice cream on the way back, couldn't find an ice cream shop, so we got uh, haagen ice cream bars from the hotel, $21, I mean, can, Canada, I mean, come on, it's expensive, but it was good ice cream. So we sat there eating our $21 haagen ice cream bars, looking over the water, the, the Niagara Falls, watching the lights and watching the fireworks, and it was a moment, a picture couldn't, couldn't describe it, a screen couldn't hold it in, and I have to admit, there was a moment there where I experienced some peace. Maybe you have some things like that you want to experience. Simeon experienced something here that will be so much greater than Niagara as he sits here and he holds the Messiah, this promised one. And he says, now, now I can die in peace. Then he explains why. why. Why is he able to die in peace? Look at verse 30 there where he says this. For my eyes, my eyes have seen your salvation. He makes a connection between Jesus and the very salvation that we receive through him. When you look at Jesus, you see God's salvation. He was God's salvation Incarnate, personified in the flesh. He says, God, now I've seen your salvation. I've seen what you're going to do to usher in your kingdom, to to fulfill your plan, to fulfill your promise in this little baby. Keep on going, verse 31. That you have prepared in the presence of all people Seen the salvation you've prepared here for, for everyone, for all people. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Salvation is now available to, to all people, to everyone. Everybody is a candidate for the gospel. 
Jesus is a light in the dark world that Simeon and Mary and Joseph and everybody else in that day that was li- they were living in, Jesus would be a light into that darkness. And he says that this child, this, the salvation that you've brought is going to be a revelation to the Gentiles. The words that he uses here in the Greek mean that, that it's a salvation that was not previously available to the Gentiles prior to Jesus coming. He says this is something new. The Gentiles will, will now be accepted in. They'll be able to, to receive that same salvation through this child and he'll bring glory to the Jews he says what does that mean it means that this salvation that is coming to the world is coming through the lineage of the Jewish nation and their glory is that it's because of them through them that God worked and God moved and brought about this child this salvation to the world and that brings glory to them they're God's special people And so this child that would come would would bring salvation to everyone, would change everything and make salvation available to everyone. Look at verse 33. And his father and his mother, Mary and Joseph, what did they do? Marveled at what was said about him. You know what I think they were saying right there? (laughs) We didn't see that coming. I mean, we've, we've, we've heard from the angels, we've heard from the shepherds, we've heard from Zechariah and Elizabeth, we've, we've heard from others, but, but now we've heard once again how special this child is. And, and they just sit and they marvel and they wonder about what God is doing through their son, through this child. They didn't expect this to happen on this ordinary day at the temple. Look at verse 34. Keep going. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It's interesting that... Simeon turns to Mary to speak specifically to Mary. Luke, Luke points this out. There's a lot of speculation about that. Some believe that Joseph would die before Jesus would actually begin his earthly ministry and many of the things that he's talking about would take place. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But whatever the case, Simeon turns, turns to Mary and, and shares with her prophetically what's going to happen The imagery of this verse, uh, much of it comes from Isaiah chapter 8 where, where the prophet Isaiah speaks about the, the Messiah who's to come will be like a stone that, that many will stumble over. Some will stumble over, others will step upon and lift their lives to higher heights, but, but many will stumble over him. And so that's the imagery that Simeon is using here, that Jesus would be the rock that would cause some to stumble and fall, but others, others to use as a stepping stone, if you will. But he says this about about Jesus, Jesus is appointed. Jesus is appointed. This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. He came with purpose, a very clear purpose to come and fulfill in this world for you and for I. He says this, part of that appointment is that because of him, many will fall. Many will stumble over him. Many won't get it. They were expecting something totally different. But he has come, and they, they stumble over him. They can't understand this. And it's the proud, it's the rich, it's the religious elite that would reject him and would ultimately be humbled and 
as we would watch Jesus' ministry, you don't have to watch very far before you see those that would stumble over him because they couldn't connect who he was and what he was doing with what their preconceived ideas of what the Messiah would be like. And they would ultimately kill him. Matter of fact, for three centuries after, after Jesus in rabbinical schools, they, they would often not even call Jesus by the name of Jesus. They would use different uh, names for him. One uh, name that they would call him was the deceiver. The other one would be that man. And the other one was the hung. Those were the words that they would use when they would mention Jesus in the rabbinical schools for, for centuries to come after his being there. And not only for him, but even for those who were his followers. Very common expression in those days. Because he didn't match what they believed the Messiah was to be, and they kept waiting for another one to come. And many would fall. And today many continue to fall because they're not willing to follow him. But he says he was also appointed that many would rise. For the humble, for the poor, for the outcast, Jesus would bring hope. Jesus brings life. And we see that again play out in his ministry. It was often those who were the outcasts of society that Jesus would spend time with, that he would go after, that he would love on and share with and bring healing to. He comes to lift our heads, every one of us who will humbly seek Him and recognize our brokenness and our need for Him and our need for His salvation. Jesus was appointed to come and bring those things to lift others up, to cause others to fall. But Jesus was also, would also be opposed, Simeon would go on to share, share. And again, you don't have to read very far into the story before you see the religious leaders of that day being threatened by Jesus. He wasn't the Messiah that they expected. He should be like us, they would say. And Simeon tells Mary it's going to be painful. Matter of fact, he says, uh, this opposition that's going to rise against your son, it's going to pierce your own soul, Mary. And again, there's a lot of speculation about what he was talking about whenever he was speaking of this. Maybe it was her own personal pain that she was going to feel as she's bringing up this child, starting off with being an unwed mother and the ridicule that she would face uh, from, from uh, society, the culture around her. Maybe it would be as her, as her child would continue to grow and then begin to minister and, and people would think he's crazy. Even Mary and her, her, the family themselves thought he was crazy for a while there. And, and maybe you can recall that and then the ridicule that she would face, that would be a painful thing. And Simeon says, Mary, this is going to hurt. But it could also be speaking to ultimately his death on the cross where Mary would have a front row seat watching her own son being tortured and killed at the hands of the Romans. And Simeon says, Mary, this is going to hurt. Oh, he's come with a great purpose and a great appointment from God, but he's going to face great opposition. And it's not just going to hurt him, but Mary, you will hurt like like any mother would hurt when they watch their child. Look again at that text with me. He blesses, blesses them and Mary 
His mother shares with her the prophecy, and he ends with this statement, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. In the Greek, this actually gives a negative connotation that it will be the negative, uh, those opposing Jesus will be revealed. It's almost like Jesus would be God's litmus test for where a person is in their heart with him. And so the question that we, my, a person might ask themselves is, do I recognize my need to, to come to God and step into his light or, or do I not? Do I recognize my sin and my need for the Savior? Do I, need, do I recognize my need for Jesus? And how I respond to Jesus is that test. It shows what's in my heart towards God. And the result is the dividing line of who is right with God and, and who is not. The biggest question you'll ever answer in your life is what did you do with Jesus? That's the dividing line. And it seems in our culture today that dividing line is getting more and more clear of who are truly following Him and who are not. Over in Acts chapter 10, uh, there's a story there of Peter, uh, the apostle Peter, whenever he goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was the, uh, this was the time whenever the gospel was going to the Gentiles for the first time. And it almost seems to me like Acts chapter 10 is um, playing out the prophecy that Simeon gives in this place. Because if you look over in Acts chapter 10, verses uh, 42 and 43, it says this, and he commanded us, and this is Peter talking to, to the, the Gentiles and, that are gathered in Cornelius' home, talking about Jesus, and he, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed, there it is, appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He was appointed to show, he was appointed to come to everyone, make it available to everybody. But those who follow him, those who listen to him, those who surrender to him, they are the ones who will have forgiveness of sins. And he reveals that to the Gentiles that day as he takes the gospel to them for the very first time. See, it's a very unexpected result that Jesus, this baby that would become a man and ultimately die on the cross for us, it was a very unexpected result that what he was doing was going to bring salvation to all mankind. You see, for the Jews, it was theirs. This is for us. But no, 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 he came for everybody. And so maybe one of the most unexpected results of Jesus coming was you. That you're here today. That you've given your heart to Christ and you've become a follower of Jesus because of that baby that came 2,000 years ago. Every one of us, we get to have salvation that we don't deserve that we can't accomplish on our own because of Him. He made a way for you, and we call that grace. He accomplished for you what you couldn't accomplish for yourself, and that's forgiveness. And He redefined what it looks like to, to be a, a follower of, of God when He moved us from a system of law to love. 
So no longer do I follow the, the rules of God because I have to, but I want to live out the way God lays, uh, lays before me because I want to, because I love him, because of what he has accomplished for me. The unexpected result of this baby in a manger was that you and I are here today and we have salvation in him. And another, another word that we call ourselves is the church. The unexpected result is the church today, this kingdom that we're a part of. You see, Jesus didn't come to establish a holiday. He came to establish a kingdom that kingdom is his church, and that, can, that kingdom, this church, continues to press on. Thousands, here we are 2,000 years later, and I believe this is so unexpected for the Jews in that day whenever the Messiah came. They weren't expecting this kind of a kingdom. They were, again, they were expecting a political power, a military power that would take over. But no, here we are today, his kingdom that he established, and we continue to press on, and we continue to share his love and his grace and his mercy with the world around us to share that good news with those that he puts in our path. Maybe the most unexpected thing that, about what God has done through Christ is that, that he actually put the keys, keys of the kingdom in our hand. <laughs> because we're still messed up and we still make mistakes, but he's depending on us to continue to grow his kingdom and expand his kingdom. To unleash his love on the world around us. That's one of the things that I love about First Church, and especially the season that we've just come out of. If we look back on Christmas and we'll just look at 2019 as a whole, as we look at all the things that God's been doing here at First Church and the ways that we've been striving to, to take love to our surrounding communities. And, and I just was thinking as I was preparing this, just a few of the things that we saw happening is we've, we've built a house for a family in need, built in our own parking lot over here, and then it got delivered to them to be put up. We, we, our students built three houses down in Mexico for some that were uh, struggling down there. We've, we've partnered with people uh, that we've sent from here as well as others we've partnered with around the world to take the gospel uh, and thousands of dollars has gone out to make that happen. We've thrown a, we threw a carnival <laughs> for our whole community. I mean, how many churches do that? All to say, we love you. Come and just have fun with your kids and Give us an opportunity to love on you a little bit. We just fit, finished sending out 150 meals for Christmas over this past year. I, I don't have a total on this, but we spent literally thousands of dollars on helping people pay bills in our community when they have need. And in Jesus' name, we can say, we want to help you. And we want to give them a hand up. We've given out thousands of pounds of food. And the list goes on of things that happen around this place. Every week as our students gather, they're hearing about Jesus. Every week as groups meet, they're hearing about Jesus. Great things continue to happen here. As a result of a baby that came 2,000 years ago. God continues to do great things in his church and in his kingdom. And I look forward to 2020. Here's a little New Year's, a little plug. Yes, this is the last Sunday of 2019. Crazy, we're already there. But I look forward to seeing the great things God's going to do in First Church in 2020. There's a lot of plans already being made. And there's probably plans that we haven't even started to think about being made because God hadn't put it on our hearts yet. But here's what I believe. I think we're going to get to the end of 2020. 
And every one of us might, we might just come to a place where we say, <laughs> we didn't see that coming. And we're going to see God do some incredible things. And we're going to see some lives changed. I'm excited. I hope you're excited too. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for what you've been doing in this place. And God, we know that it was uh, everything that's happening here and in your church globally around this world is happening as a result of what you did when you sent your child, you sent Jesus to this earth, and you established your kingdom, a kingdom like nobody expected. But God, that, can, that kingdom continues to advance, and that kingdom continues to make a difference, and that kingdom, uh, this kingdom continues to change lives as your gospel goes out, and your love goes out, and more and more people give their hearts to you and follow you. God, we pray that we see that in this next year. God, we're thankful for all you've done in this past year, and, and the lives we've seen change, and so many that have, have become followers of you, but God, we we look forward to even a greater harvest as you continue to build your kingdom, as you continue to grow your church. God, we look forward to what you're going to do. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.